I remember one of my family members said to me, dad does drugs. And I didn't even know what that meant, Mm -hmm. but I knew it felt bad and that it felt scary. And it was almost like for the next decade, that feeling, that sort of sinking feeling of fear and um, sadness, grief, anger, that was like a dark cloud over Is my there life. Out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Welcome back to another uh, Our Collective Journey podcast from Darkness to Life, brought to you by Nicole Davis Realty. If you are in the market for buying or selling, please contact Nicole. Plugged in Media Network. Thanks, Dave, for working all your magic, getting us sounding a little better than we usually do. Um, He's going to have his work cut out here. Oh, my goodness. He sure is. Dave, if you're listening. Sorry. Have a rest. Yeah. Save your save your energy. We're bringing you back a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, so uh, still up here in Calgary, we've managed to coerce another coerce another guest into coming onto our show. We told him it's really cool. So that's the best part of this shit, right? Is nobody really knows it. So we're like, yeah, we got this huge podcast. It's awesome. We're yeah. really professional. Little do they know, it's just Linda and Paula, our moms, that listen to it. Yeah, it's <laughs> we actually, have two listeners. We're just a bag of shit. And nobody knows. <laughs> right on. So, uh, yeah, still up in Calgary at the Recovery Conference uh, National Convention. And uh, it's been a busy couple days, that's for sure. But uh, amazing. Networking, meeting people. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Mr. Armstrong? Uh, Yeah, I am. Well, kind of fortunately, kind of unfortunately, depends how you look at it. Didn't really get to participate in much of the conference because I was in a lot of meetings throughout the time with the people that were here. So um, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get a lot of the conference experience, but I got a lot of meetings accomplished and a lot of relationships built and mm-hmm. plans moving forward. So cool. And I, I love that piece of this conference. It's, you know, if you've been here once or twice, it becomes more about the networking and meeting the individuals that we've met online or meeting the individuals that we've read reports about or journals that they've written, right? And now to sit down and talk to those individuals is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so speaking of guests that we've managed to uh, convince to do our show, we are joined today by Sonia. We got introduced uh, first. Hi, Sonia. Hi. Hi. We got introduced through a, through a, an acquaintance out in the on the West Coast. Uh, one of our recovery coach facilitators connected us a couple weeks, a month ago, something like that. Yeah, not long. Yeah, and uh, lo and behold... Sonia and her agency are here at the convention, so this is a great time to sit down and do a podcast, I'd say. I think so, too. So, yeah, thanks for joining Rick and myself today, and uh, yeah, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and uh, tell everybody about what you got going on. I know you got a little bit of a story as well, and we always leave it open to the guests to kind of share what they're comfortable sharing, so. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. First mm-hmm. of all, I, I'm going to share a story about family recovery Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm so excited to be here in Calgary and to have participated in this conference but uh, sadly what is never surprising to me is the lack of stories from families. Mm -hmm. I heard that from a few people today. Yeah yeah 
So I want to really thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to share about family recovery because it's, uh, well, you know, we're talking about recovery-oriented systems of care. Right. And we know that families are a huge part of that. So we're either going to support families mm -hmm. to um, really enhance these treatment processes or they can um, really unintentionally even take away from good work that's being done For sure. by people trying to be well. So. Um, we have to talk about family recovery, Yeah. Um, but sometimes we don't. So I yeah. appreciate you guys inviting me and giving me that opportunity. For sure. Well, we appreciate you coming and sharing some of your experience and, you know, your lived experience along with what you're doing out in, on the West Coast because, uh, yeah, we all know that addiction is a family disease, right? It Im impacts the whole family. And I know when, Rick, same thing. When you were in active addiction, I was in active addiction. We've talked about this lots. We just thought we were, fuck it's our lives. We'll do what we want. We're, I'm only hurting me. Yeah. yeah. And now that I'm in recovery, that ripple effect is, it's massive. And, and to start making some, taking some accountability and making the amends around that whole piece is where, you know, if you have the family involved and have them looking through that kind of recovery lens and have them educated around it and supported and it becomes a lot easier for the individual to recover as well, along with the family. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we're pretty pumped to have you on today. Yeah, and I mean, even you mentioning that ripple effect, that is um, the basis of what I do now, which I'll, I'll talk more about later. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the generational impact is going to be either that of trauma or that of recovery. And recovery is possible for families um, regardless of what happens to your loved one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, spoiler alert... My loved one didn't make it. Oh, yeah. Um, but my family said addiction's only taking one of us. Like we wow. we weren't going to let it take more than one. Um, and so we got well, right? Again, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to back it up a little bit yeah. um, and just say you know there's always this air of like nervousness before I share my story, even though I've shared it, you know, mm -hmm. many times now. But have you ever shared it on a podcast to our moms? <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourself, Linda and Paula. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. And I think, you know, the nervousness is even heightened yeah. um, as a result of knowing that Linda and Paula are, are here with Excellent. us. Excellent. Um, what was I even saying? Oh yes, there's always this air of nervousness mm -hmm. um, because for families we're not we're not telling necessarily our story. We're we're telling somebody else's story, yeah. right? And we want to do right by those who are and have been a part of the story. Um, and there's this want to protect what parts are mine, what parts are theirs. There's that huge amount of shame, um, and and. You know, we it, it contributes to um, us not being able to access services because we don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. We don't want to say what's happening for our loved one, so we don't say anything. And that in that process, we become more isolated and we are uh, disconnected from accessing the support that we actually need. Right. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, I, I know that even though the nervousness is there, we have to tell the story. Right. Um, and hopefully encourage other families to know that we can share our story and still honor and respect the, mm -hmm. our loved ones. <clears throat> I think one of the coolest pieces listening to you talk about sharing your story because it's not 
all of your story. It's somebody else's story as well. Is how many families are out there stuck behind that closed door? You know, brought up in the generations we were brought up in, that we don't open that door and air our garbage and we solve our own problems, and we we don't need to let it, everybody know what's going on in this household. That's right. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a vast majority. Really. Totally, even to this day, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I want to say there's a big belief for families that we are going to get a handle on this. Oh, yes. Too, and we're, we're this close, so then we'll never have to speak about it, mm-hmm. right? We're going to get this all cleaned up and... Put it and behind us and be our right. dirty little secret. That's right. Yeah. We'll never, ever have to um, to talk about this. Um, and that's that's a real thought for lots of people. And again, that, that really um, creates barriers towards us getting the support that we actually need because... Witnessing active addiction is traumatic, mm-hmm. and um, it impacts our, our, our nervous system. It's not something that we should know how to deal with or know how to handle, but we have this belief that we should know how to do this, right? And yeah. um, I want to say really clearly that we can't do it without support, either mm-hmm. in the exact same way that, you know, the person experiencing the addiction needs support. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, we're feeling all this shame. We're feeling um, like, what's wrong with me? I can't fix this for my loved one. Um, but it's actually really not possible unless mm. we start talking about it, unless we start accessing and finding out, um, you know, where are the supports and services for sure, yeah. for sure, and and especially for families like you just said, finding supports, that can be very confusing. And if you're a family where this is your first kind of uh, brush with addiction, and how are you supposed to know where these things are? Like you don't know, you haven't been down this road before, right? So it's like. Are you, and, and we see it all the time too, and I'm sure you do, you finally get connected to a family that has been doing this on their own, trying to do it for three months, six months, a year, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And if they were okay with connecting with somebody, reaching out for that support, that could be expedited so much quicker. But yeah, anyway, yeah. your turn. Well, and right, we're in this helpless, hopeless, despair mm-hmm. place. The, the families I work with, Uh, now and ourselves included I always include myself um, in this because I know that I share this in common with with so many families but um, we don't know that there is even services for us we don't know that we need services like it's been it's been about help my loved one and rightfully so right there's somebody with a life-threatening illness someone that we love yeah Um, so we don't think about us and maybe what what we need mm-hmm. um, and lots of times when I ask somebody you know like how are you doing they just weep because yeah. you know they haven't even thought about it <clears throat> when nobody's yeah all the attention is on someone else and nobody's ever taken the time to ask them they don't even know how they're doing that's right so yeah yeah and we have to get to these really um, sort of dark places before we're willing to accept help yeah um, again it's we have <laughs> the families have so much in common with the person who actually uh, is experiencing the addiction that that um, I think we're we're really unaware of from the family perspective when we're in it mm-hmm. is how much we actually have in common with our loved one who is struggling, yeah. Um, and and yeah, I know I know that we did. My family struggled, and um, you know we were just a normal family mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. every other family. For sure. And I had uh, no idea. I mean. In hindsight now, I can see that my dad's addiction didn't just pop into our lives. Mm -hmm. But when I was a kid, like for me, it didn't become apparent until I was like maybe 11 or 12-ish. And yeah, and it felt like overnight 
we I got like hit with this realization and I remember one of my family members said to me um, dad does drugs and I didn't even know what that meant mm -hmm. but I knew it felt bad and that it felt scary and it was almost like for the next decade that feeling that sort of sinking feeling of fear and um, sadness, grief, anger, that was like a dark cloud over my whole family, um, but certainly over my life. And um, I'm just, I wanna preface this with my mom is an mm -hmm. earth angel, um, but she did all the things, right? Yeah. Like she did all the things. And we often spend time laughing about those things now yeah. um, because they sound crazy, right? The things that she did to try to get my dad to stop using drugs, right? Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say at, at one point there was even talk of putting him on a budget. Maybe if we could make a drug budget, yeah. you know, maybe this will work. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, so we did all those things and families are doing all of those things throughout this. Um, they're very, very creative. Let's just say if those things worked, like everyone mm -hmm. would be healed. For sure. For sure. And I think a big component is, um, you know, the realization I know it comes up all the time for us is, is how many of the phone calls we get are from loved ones, not specifically the person reaching out for support, right. right? Yeah. And they're looking for direction, information, you know, or asking us, can you, can you guys make them stop? And it's like, <laughs> That's uh, right. nope, no, we can't. We can provide you with some support in the interim. And when they're ready, here's the services. But um, one of the biggest things that I think I, I try to get across to, you know, the loved ones is um, you're, you're trying to combat an illogical person with logic, like, and the, trying to make sense of nonsense. Exactly right, and it's it's, it's like you can't you you can't wage war with intellect against something that doesn't have the capacity to m make good decisions, right? Or else, yeah. like, if I had the capacity to make good life choices, I wouldn't be a fucking addict, right? Yeah, like, absolutely, I've lost the ability to do that at some point, right? I've incrementally lost the ability. I, the best thing I heard, I think this, well, I heard a lot of good little nuggets, but one of the best ones I heard at this conference was I've incrementally lost the ability to find pleasure in anything other than my drug use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was like, <clears throat> yeah, that's a really good picture of yeah. like, the, it, you, eventually it, it, it really takes over. And just to, you can't make sense of it because it's nonsense. It's like, it's, a, it's the easiest way to put it. Yes, Absolutely. And so, you know, like I said, we're, we're trying these things desperately um, and, and without the support around families, like none of that worked. And if it did work, right, like every person with addiction would be healed because mm -hmm. um, families are the most creative, hardworking, uh, resilient, like if there's a way to try to fix this, they have done it. They're, they're incredible and the love that they have right it all comes from this this really deep place of love for this person in their life that they mm -hmm. um, clearly can see is <clears throat> struggling um, and we did them all <laughs> we did them all 
Um, and the thing that I think makes me the most um, sad in thinking back on that time in our life is that um, we were doing what everybody does, but we had mm -hmm. no idea and we felt so alone, yeah. right? We, th we thought, and, and even within our unit, right? It, it, it divided and conquered us as a unit. Like I have a, I have a sister and uh, my mom and my dad and we were, we were our little unit and it really um, separated us to the point where we were isolated even from each other. Yeah. Um, and so really not knowing that there was so many people having the same experience. I thought I was the only one and I was oof, angry. I got, I turned very, very, very angry um, into my high school years. And um, I, when I tell people that I <laughs> used to be angry, they are like dumbfounded because um, you don't strike me as an angry no, person. No, <laughs> I know, I know, and um, but yeah, I really was. So I started to, um, in the chaos of my dad's addiction, like it was full blown, um, and I, I'm sure I don't have to describe to mm -hmm. you guys what that looks like. Right. Um, and you know, even now, having worked in this field for you know roughly 15 years I still think my dad is one of the sickest people I ever wow. witnessed yeah. um, like his illness was very very severe um, and so to cope with that I started to develop strategies to cope right, right? and that is um, natural and normal and um, really wonderful actually that our bodies have the ability to do that but of course when you're living it you don't know that's what you're first of all you don't know that that's happening right. you don't know you're not consciously making a decision but what I did was I started to, to wall myself off mm -hmm. right it was like I'm angry stay back um, because I had all of this really tender raw uh, emotion happening that I couldn't even I couldn't have anyone be close to that I couldn't speak the words like my dad was my, you know, he was my guy. Yeah. He was so freaking cool, right? And um, I always still think, you know, had he been able to get into recovery, like what a cool, the world I, I feel had a loss there, um, but not in his addiction in any way, shape or form. But the, the pain that I experienced in losing him, um, you know, and you lose them slowly over time and you don't understand you're, I was a kid, right? Yeah. And, and, and the pain that I experienced over that time, it was so raw that I absolutely, um, I just started to build walls around myself mm -hmm. and they worked really, really well. Yeah. Um, too well, in fact, um, because I, like I said, I was, I was angry. I was short tempered. I wasn't very awesome to be around again. My mom, earth angel, um, she had to put up with a lot of like trying to manage my emotional state. Um, but also knowing that I was going through this big, huge thing and how do we, you know, talk about that? How do we address that? Um, you know, most of the time she would try to just let me manage it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and truth be told, none of us knew what to do. Yeah. None of us knew what to do. <clears throat> You're kind of doing the best you can with what you know. And unfortunately, at that moment, you don't really know a whole lot. No. You're well, you trying to, to survive. And you tend to make it up. Mm -hmm. right? Like Again, because of 
some of those walls and the guilt and shame around it and the, the sense of isolation. Yeah. You're, you're trying to solve a problem. You don't have the tools to do it. And you're just making it up as you go. Well, and I started to believe that that was who I was mm. and not ways that I learned to cope. Yeah. So I remember <clears throat> distinctly thinking, you know, after one of my like rage episodes at somebody like, damn my luck. I just got this shitty personality. Like, I'm not sure why I have this shitty personality, but like, I just do, and and that sucks. Um, Cause yeah, the anger was, it didn't feel like it was in my control yeah. at times. Um, and I didn't want to be that way. I'd always feel, I'd always feel like shame and guilt after I'd been sort of, you know, short tempered with somebody. And um, so I started to just have this understanding of myself that wasn't, I didn't really think very much of myself. Like um, it's a wonder people stuck it out with me but they did, yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to get the hell out of here. Obviously, because mm -hmm. this, you know, is chaos. Um, so I moved to Jasper, Alberta, of all the places. There was an ad in the paper to go work their first season. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, anywhere is better than here. And off I went. And well, all it is pretty beautiful there. <laughs> It was amazing. I stayed for five years, actually. That's yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, beyond beautiful. Um, and all the while in the background, my dad's addiction is still raging, getting progressively worse. He is in and out of my life, um, popping up, you know, when you, you kind of put it on the shelf and you try to focus on your, you know, whatever your regular life is. And then he would kind of pop out of nowhere with some absolute crisis and, um, you know, you'd have to decide if you were going to go visit him in the hospital or if you were going to pick him up from here, drive him there or, you know, mm -hmm. what have you. So um, my biggest coping strategy was just stuff that down and <laughs> do not tell anybody. And it was like this whole world that rumbled around in the back of my life that I would say even my closest friends didn't know about. Um, like even in high school, it was just like Sonia's dad's not around. Um, but we don't talk about that. Like my energy was so powerful about like, we just don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, and so no one did and I didn't. Um, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to move and that'll be, this will be great. This will yeah. be way better. Um, but they, what do they say? Anywhere you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, cause that's what it was, right? Like I, I still had all of the trauma response yeah. that was m my normal way of showing up in the world. So trying to have connections with people and, um, be close with people. And, you know, I was just so guarded. Um, and, and you can't, you know, you can't get away from yourself. Yeah. And then I had, so I worked in this lovely restaurant in Jasper and, um, and this is funny. So if this restaurant owner is listening by chance, he probably doesn't even know what a big role he played in my, in my turnabout. Um, but I worked for them for some years and, um, was very close with them and, and loved them and they loved me. And after, you know, some years and he sat me and he's like, Sonia, you know, we had it, we had an episode where I don't even know, I was probably popping off at a customer or something. <laughs> <laughs> and he sat me down and he said, okay, Sonia, like, 
honestly, like, I don't want to let you go, but, like, you're mean to the staff. You're mean to the customers. <laughs> like, like, what? You are in the hospitality business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was like, what is the, your deal? Right? And I started bawling. I started bawling. And, like, I never cried. Never. Because that was, like, way too vulnerable, right? Um, so yeah, I started bawling and I said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but something's wrong with me. And he was like, so uncomfortable. Yeah, what do you do with that now? <laughs> yeah. His box is now open. <laughs> yeah, he did not expect that. He was like, okay, so like, I won't fire you. Just stop crying. Um, no, but I, um, it was like a breaking point. Like, why am I like this? Right? Like, I don't, this is exhausting. I don't want to be like this. And, but I didn't know any other way to be. Right. Um, and I, all the while I'm just thinking, I was just thinking I was shitty. Like, I was like, I don't know. I'm just shitty. Um, but in that moment, I, I knew something was not right. So I phoned up my mom that night and, uh, my mom because, as I mentioned, my dad, this, you know, this whole time his addiction is still just raging on. And, um, you know, she tried all the things to have him um, court-ordered into treatment and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Did, you know, it wasn't going to happen. He, mm -hmm. This person was not going to be well. So she, in that time, had found some support for families. And she started to walk down that road of, like, he might not get well, but I'm, I'm still going to try. Um, and so when I phoned her, she said, oh, I know, I know exactly where, where to take you, like, come home, come home right now. And I did. So I flew home and, um, just stayed at, uh, with her at her home. And she introduced me to a family program, um, at a treatment center that my dad had attended for, I think approximately eight days before he was asked to leave. Um, because he was disrupting <laughs> the others, fair enough. Um, so I signed up for a family program. I was the youngest in that family program by far. Um, and I, you know, came trotting in with like just a ton of anger, you know, at them, at life, at everything. Um, and it was one of my brilliant counselors who looked at me and said, you know, you're not angry, Sonia. And I was like, oh, I can assure you that I am. I'm pretty sure I'm I am. pretty angry. And he said, um, no, you're hurt. And again, with the bawling. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was a, like a real aha moment for me. Because um, I was like in deep pain yeah. at the loss of this important person in my life. And uh, sad. I was so sad that he was just gone. Right. Um, but he wasn't gone. It was like worse than that, you know? Like it was like... You know, and, and this is something that's unpopular too, but I'm going to say it. Like, it was relieving when he finally went because um, he wasn't gone. He was there, right. but he couldn't be present <laughs> in any way. And the man that I knew and loved, that guy was gone. Long gone, yeah. Yeah. He died when I was 12. You know, the other guy, he died when I was 22. 
but like that person who he was was not had not been there for a long time right um so yeah when that wonderful counselor and that they actually shared with me as well that this is traumatic like what you've been through is traumatic and i it was the first time i ever heard i had experienced trauma and again like blew my mind mm -hmm. but in hindsight it's like obviously man like we had cops at the house there was you know abuse there was all of it right all of it um and to not have realized that that a was tr trauma um and b that of course that would impact the way i show up in the world and that maybe it's not just a shitty personality but maybe it was actually the most resilient thing natural mm. normal response to a traumatic event yeah you know and i was like dang <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was really it was really mind-blowing so i i was high stepping out of that place um and i thought you know how do i how do i tell the world like yeah. i'm this new I'm this new person right now and they were like you don't you just you just go out and you live differently and and eventually um you know things will change around you mm -hmm. um and that's you know when I said at the beginning when I tell people I used to be angry um yeah they laugh and they're like that's that just doesn't seem like a fit for you um and of course it didn't end there um you know, it, it took a long time to <clears throat> start to let go of those things that kept me safe for so long. Right. Um, and then my dad did die, actually, quite shortly after that. He, um, he died as a result of his addiction. Mm -hmm. um, and because I had had some healing, um, you know, my family was able to, to navigate that differently and my mom was engaging in her own healing and and I want to say that recovery for uh, families you know when we start to get well and change our behavior it doesn't just impact our relationship with the person with the substance use disorder right like it, it, it impacts the entire family system so my mom's over there getting well right and she starts setting a you know a boundary <clears throat> and I was like well, what? What? Like, what the heck is this? Yeah, I, I mean... This is new. This is new and awful. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, because she wasn't just codependent with my dad. She was codependent with all of us, right? And she was parenting from that uh, really guilty place. Like, she had done something, mm -hmm. you know, wrong that she never did. Um, because she didn't want us to ever experience any more hurt or any more pain. And, um, and that's a really natural way to feel. You know, when, when we had been through, my sister and I had been through so much already. Um, but yeah, so her boundary started to impact our relationship. Um, and it rocked everything up. It shook everything up. Um, and I didn't like it always, you know. Um, but we learned to navigate, negotiate, communicate in a totally different way. Um, because we, you know, the rules of the house, the unspoken rules of the house were like, don't talk, trust and feel, right? We never, no matter what chaotic blow happened in the house, you know, my mom would come in in the morning and be like, I made eggs, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or here's a pup 
puppy. <laughs> that really happened. Yeah. Here's a puppy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so we didn't. I just learned we did this. It's just something we don't discuss. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and in her mindset, it was just, this is how I protect them. This is how I'm going to protect them. Um, you know, we don't trust because, again, I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to tell you the truth. Because my mom was, sure, she was this close to um, solving the problem. So, you know, she was going to solve the problem. She'd never have to tell us. So, you know, she hid it a lot. Mm -hmm. And in that I learned, don't trust. We don't trust each other because we don't tell each other the truth. Um, and then, yeah, feeling was, it, it was off the table. Like, I just went numb. What's remarkable to me, and, and maybe for the first time I'm realizing this, is how similar your self-talk, your emotional journey is to what mine was as the addict. Like, yes. they parallel each other shockingly close especially coming from a point of view like we talked about mm -hmm. that you know when when we were in active addiction <clears throat> i'm only hurting myself yeah. why does anybody else care when really we were putting everybody through the exact same journey emotion like the right. self-talk is what's really getting me right no mm -hmm. all of the emotions that you went through for sure and we had the substance as a coping mechanism yeah. whereas the family has other negative coping mechanisms yeah not the substance, right? Yeah. Well, and the problem with ours as the family is that they're often not helpful in supporting somebody who has an addiction. Um, whether that person's, you know, we feel helpless, hopeless, like we have no power, and that couldn't be further from the truth. We just have to harness it differently. Um, but the way that we respond to addiction really matters, and we cannot <clears throat> respond. All we're doing is reacting when yeah. we're unaware and unconscious of how we're being impacted by, you know, being in this trauma. Um, and that's what I really do today, right? Now I, I treat chronic stress and trauma in families. Um, and, and it doesn't really have anything to do with addiction specifically because we know that we can have those experiences with, any with anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but the, the added piece, yeah, is that if we're unaware of the way that we're showing up and the way that we're reacting um we are giving away all of our power and we're doing a disservice especially if our loved one is getting into treatment getting into recovery and starting to learn that new way of being um, if we don't heal ourselves mm -hmm. and start to understand um you know we got to pull that focus away from what they're doing and that's really hard because you know that's they're, the main attraction. Yeah, so they're long. running amok, right? Yeah. So, it's, it's, yeah, we're looking over here. But I have to be self-focused in order to support somebody in recovery, and I really know that today. Um, or support them in their addiction, or support, you know, to, to move them into any sort of place. Um, and I'm still powerless, no matter what. Mm. No matter what. But I can tell you, you don't, we don't stand a shot in hell um, if we're not focusing in on ourselves in the way that when we are triggered in our trauma how that impacts the way that we engage with this person in their addiction. It just, if we don't learn, and it's different for everybody, um, slightly, but in, for the most part, we're all, we're all responding in, in the very same ways mm -hmm. um, and feeling like, you know, we're alone, which is, you know, I came to learn, I don't think there's a person around me that isn't touched by this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's very rare that you come across anybody nowadays that isn't impacted either 
you know, one degree, two degree, three degrees. They they know. Man, somebody. there's no more than two degrees. No, like no a, way. I call bullshit yeah. at two. Like yeah, it certainly doesn't make it to three. I don't think so, but again, like that really blew my mind that I wasn't alone. Like, yeah. and yeah, it, it shouldn't, but it does. I felt so so alone in it. Mm-hmm. Like I was the only kid for sure. And I've done children's programming now, and I think um, just to have the kids in the room together mm-hmm. and say the word addiction or hear the word addiction or um, and th- and look at another kid and go, you have that to your, you know, your parent has that too. Yeah. Like what a whoa. Give them the permission, the safe space to not be alone. Yeah, this isn't uh, scary. This isn't well. You know what? Actually, it it can be scary, and that's mm-hmm. okay. You might be scared, and that's okay. Um, but you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to hide. We can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like that's the opposite, right? Is of that don't talk, trust and feel. Yeah. Is like we can talk about this. Uh, all your feelings are welcome, and it's okay to be. It's okay to be angry. This you, yeah, you should be, right? When when people are acting this way, it's okay to be afraid. I'm scared too. Like imagine my mm-hmm. mom was like, hey, yeah, I'm scared too, Sonia. Whoa. Yeah. Right? But, she, but you know, the, the families are just trying to protect, protect, protect. So, so let's just not talk about this. Um, but then kids are just left to make up the story for themselves. And that's sometimes worse. Um, yeah. So it's, um, we have to know. We have to know how, we're, that A, that we are being impacted. B, that we need just as much support. Like you're saying, like, I can't believe how similar... The parallel is, yeah, we need, my belief is, we need just as much support mm-hmm. um, as the person experiencing the addiction. Yeah. So, so I think that's a pretty good segue into, so what do you do now? What, <laughs> let's, you know, let's talk about what you're launching, well, what you're developed, what you're, what you're doing, what your programming looks like. Yeah, so when I um, moved back home, um, after, you know, my mom said come home, I did the program, and then I knew, you know, I got to go home. We got to go home. My dad passed away. I thought, I got to go back home. Um, And so I did. And I didn't know what I was doing with my life because I I had no idea. I had never thought of it, really. Um, And, you know, I barely made it through. I barely made it through high school. And I thought uh, that I I wasn't very smart. Mm -hmm. So, again, not at all considering the fact that I had... Um, a full-blown heroin addict living in my home during that time, which is maybe why I barely graduated. Nope, it was definitely uh, just because I probably wasn't that smart. Um, so my mom was actually, at the time, on the board of the foundation um, for that treatment center that she went and did um, family programming at. So she said, why don't you apply there? And I was like, okay. Um, so I did. And I got the job. Um, and I remember them saying, uh, you know, you got to go back to school. You got to go back to school. And I was like, well, you know, I don't, I don't think I can kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and she I was barely like, made it through last time. <laughs> That's yeah. right. And, uh, you know, one of the like heads of the center at the time was like, well, how'd you do, how, you know, how was school? How'd you do in school? And uh, she's like, I have a connection with uh, this 
a university in Lethbridge, I can speak to them for you, kind of thing. And I was like, uh, so I looked at her and I'm like, you know, do I, do I tell her the truth here mm -hmm. or, <laughs> you know, and I, I looked at her, I was like, I did. Uh, I was about a medium. <laughs> and, she, and she looked at me like, I don't even know what that means. And I was like, yeah, me neither. But anyways, she did connect me with um, the University of Lethbridge. And I went and I started their programming in, um, it was like health science with a major in addictions counseling, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up coming back and finishing up at UVic um, and then going ahead and getting a master's degree. Um, but I found out that I am kind of bright. You are capable. <laughs> totally capable. Um, and even more so when I'm engaged in something that interests me and that matters to me and that I'm passionate about. Um, so yeah, the, we did the school thing. I stayed with that treatment center for, uh, close to 10 years and I worked up from the support staff all the way across that entire continuum of care. So I learned, um, you know, what each department looked like, inpatient, um, continuing care, extended care, um, and of course, families. Mm -hmm. And I started, um, that same woman who helped me get into university, she said, I'm gonna put you down in with the families. And of all the people, right, like, t she chose me. And um, and so I would sit in as support staff and watch the counselors work with the children's program. Um, and then I started to facilitate the children's program. Mm -hmm. And then I started to facilitate their insight program. So the very same family program that um, helped me be well, I was now facilitating. Cool. And can I just say something that's a real mind blow? Is the woman... This is like a total gotcha. The woman that connected us with you, I worked with her in that program oh as her counselor. Hmm. Wow. And when we sat down on the Zoom call, she was introduced through one of my colleagues, like, and, and I was just, you know, coming as, as a colleague. And when we sat down on the Zoom call, and we were, I was like, no shit like and she was like oh my god it's you um and I was totally floored by that um and she said you you changed my life like she and and she herself is in recovery and she said but this piece the family piece the, the codependency piece like she's like that really brought it together for me and um and that was incredible mm. Um, to be reconnected with her in that way and now to be sitting here with you guys and sharing uh, in that way and I think that's you know the the gifts of recovery and that's Absolutely. what this is all about is like this life that you um, can't even imagine like if I think about those darkest days right that little girl um, that angry little girl she wouldn't have believed it um, and then to be at this conference and you know essentially bringing now um my own nonprofit organization that specializes in care specifically for families um i don't think that exists i don't think it exists in canada to be perfectly honest in this way um and treating not you know not, this is not a two-day educational program mm -hmm, and sure. um you know i don't mean to 
sound any type of way about anyone who's doing that because um, education I think maybe is better than nothing but um, like I said I treat chronic stress and trauma in in people and and loving somebody with an addiction is one bit of trauma but most of the time once our families are in our care we realize we're treating trauma from from way back and yeah. multiple people in their lives who have experienced addiction or maybe they've experienced addiction themselves or you know so um, giving somebody information and then asking them to change behavior doesn't work and, and can even perpetuate more shame because now I know about it and yeah, I'm yeah. still doing that thing, yeah, yeah. right? Um, so families need more and they deserve more and um, I'm so grateful for the people that walked beside us and mm -hmm. my family um, and I always say like if any if we can do it anyone can do it because we were flying blind like we had no idea what we were doing um, and I guess I would be in a lot of people's minds the worst case scenario because you know our person didn't make it right um, and and I want to say that you know if this is the worst case scenario like you can still have a, a well life mm -hmm. like we're not resigned to uh, darkness and depression and sickness and sadness because someone we love um, is struggling right. in whatever way right there's things that are beyond our control and um, sometimes families need permission to enjoy their life or be happy when someone they love is struggling um, it's a really hard thing to do and I get that I get that mm -hmm. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, addiction wasn't going to take more than one person from our family. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I'm trying to give back now to wow. people. Um, and yeah, our, our mission is to increase access. You know, across Canada, we're completely virtual. So, you know, we're already starting to be able to broaden that access to, um, you know, anywhere that has a strong internet connection although I'm really learning a lot at this conference about places that don't ha have have mm -hmm. even that for sure. um, and that's not good enough <clears throat> for me um, so it seems like or it sounds like I've got a few more missions on my hands mm -hmm. but uh, um, yeah we want to to continue nationwide 5 G's now on your bucket list <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah I got a strongly worded uh, letter coming yeah. coming out of me sh shortly here <laughs> um, yeah so we want a families to know that there's somewhere to go mm -hmm. like there's support available to you um, you need support like you shouldn't know how to do this like it's not Absolutely. common knowledge and it's not even a conscious thing it's it's actually in the nervous system mm -hmm. like your nervous system has been impacted to a level in which um, it, it impacts how you show up and how you're able to engage. So um, you haven't done anything wrong. We, we've actually done everything uh, right to help ourselves get through something that's really hard. For sure. Yeah. Um, but we can heal and we can uh, stabilize the nervous system and really uh, have so much more power to uh, affect change um, in our lives and the biggest piece I think too is in the next generation so I've got two little ones uh, I've got an eight-month-old and uh, a two-year-old and they're growing up very very differently uh, than I am right and we're having those conversations and they're starting right they're starting now 
maybe not with my eight month old. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting because Ryan's got a little one at home, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, mine are all my children are older now, and and to be able to see Ryan like get to bring up his son in in an environment that he didn't grow up in, and you know, hearing stories about other people, I'm like, fuck, maybe I got one more in me. And then I'm like, <laughs> whoa, 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 hold up the brakes. Um, what? As say what? Someone with an eight month old, I'm going to say, no, 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 that no. One shh, shh, shh. I didn't finish. Carry on. <laughs> Carry on. Don't spoil this moment. <laughs> and then I really quickly oh. go like, fuck that shit. <laughs> I am, I am way too close to the end here That's to restart so that. I'm like, you know, I'll just hang in there for a few yeah. years and I'll get to spoil a grandkid That's and that'll right. be good enough. Right. I'm like, I do, I do not need to reset that. Awesome one. stuff. There, You had me on the edge of my seat for yeah, a minute. Yeah, I see you perk right up. You're like, <laughs> wait a minute. What the shit did you just say? Don't yeah, yeah. do it. Pump the brakes, buddy. Don't worry. Oh, man. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I'm wa- yeah, well, and watching my mom become a grandmother and um, the the opportunities that my kids will have um to just be it's okay to not be okay Mm -hmm. right and we're not going to fix that we're not we're going to teach them how to manage that yeah teach them how to manage emotions and like yeah you're angry you're sad you're whatever that's normal Mm -hmm. well it's one of the big relationships we're starting to build now is with another agency that really is promoting resilience in youth right instead of there's so many agencies and so much programming and so much money being dumped into recovery. Yeah. It's like, well, why do we wait till they need recovery? You know, yeah. maybe if we took half of those resources and moved them down the line, the timeline of that, started developing some resilient skills that, you know, because <clears throat> I've learned a lot about the epidemiology and the genetic components and the, and the brain development and, and, and and believe me, like, I'm an idiot. I'm a carpenter. Like, I don't know shit about this stuff, right? So I'm just being kind of self-educated as I get to have wonderful conversations with people like yourself and meet other people and start reading books and literature. And and uh, it, 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 one of the really cool things that I've seen was, you know, the identical twins, like, identical twins, and one goes on to be an addict, came from the same environment, the same genetics, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there isn't necessarily that one box that you need to check that like you're either going to manage this or not because your father was uh heroin my my father was an alcoholic sounds like a very similar experience what you dealt with and i dealt with yeah and and yet you know you're on that side of this microphone and i'm on this side of that microphone and it's like okay well you went left i went right and yet simultaneously we had the exact same experience obviously not the exact same experience I've done some never mind (laughs) but the emotional you know just as I was was saying previously right the emotional experience Mm -hmm. is is, it parallels interestingly yeah absolutely yeah well and that's a big piece right the prevention piece and Mm -hmm. when we're talking about kids even so if we shift this to a foundation of recovery for the next generation, even if we can delay that first use, mm-hmm. that has such an impact on the brain development. The brain, yes, where the brain is at in its development will shift. If it, if addiction does present itself, you know it'll it'll um, impact things like um, how severe the illness is, uh, how much treatment somebody needs, um, like all kinds of things are significantly decreased just mm-hmm. by pushing that first use back. For sure. One of the most fascinating 
studies that I've, well, I don't know, study report, I don't know. I don't know enough to know what the difference is. It was on paper somewhere. It was on paper. I read it. I don't even think it was paper, but I read it. <laughs> it was on the internet. It must be true, right? <laughs> right. But it was a study. I think it was actually, it was, I don't know where, the, I'm just going to make some shit up so I won't. It was from some approved institute of people smarter than me. And uh, it, it talked about the stages of brain development and where, where, how critical the, not that there isn't multiple stages of critical development, but um, when it came to the brain's ability to manage opioid transmissions and, and how it spikes, like the opioid crisis or epidemic, whatever you want to call it, that we're in now, um, when they start talking to the, the people that are in, in that life right now, their first exposure is typically 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And then you dig a little deeper, and as this report kind of went, okay, well, why is that? And when they started taking, it was actually um, post-mortem, it was like a post-mortem study of brain, you know, they would start mm -hmm. analyzing brains, and they could track it back to that 13, 14. And where it is is dentists. It's that you're 13, 14 years old, and you get your wisdom teeth pulled out. And it's that's typically a lot of people's first experience with opioids. And it just so happens to unfortunately correlate with this really critical time in brain development where it actually alters the brain chemistry and you start getting that dopamine reward and it wants opium and or opioid of some sort, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's like now, mm. well, shit, right? Mm. Now now what do we do with that? <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool, the educational pieces that I'm getting just For from sure. listening to people like yourself and, and others, so... Thanks for making me a little bit less dumb. <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. So, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, your organization? Tell yeah. The listeners, oh. where, yeah, name how, it. How do they find you? They like, find plug you? away. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And then both our moms can call you tomorrow. They will. They will. <laughs> they've been clearly traumatized. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so we are Legacy West Healing, um, and like I said, we are virtual, so all of our services can be accessed online. We have um, group programming, we have individual, we have somatic experiencing, we have a wonderful uh, somatic experiencing therapist, and for anybody who is unfamiliar with that work, it is about the nervous system, it's about the body, um, and it's about releasing that traumatic shock from from the body it's really fascinating work um, because a lot of times even people will do a lot of healing work and still be in these sort of compulsive behaviors and it's because this energy is actually stuck inside of us um, and so we have a wonderful uh, clinician trauma specialist on our staff um, and really we have all these, you know, pro uh, programs and services, but what we do is we speak to people and we ask them what they need and we go from there. So that's one reason that we decided to take our organization um, independent is because we have, I have facilitated um, family programming in some of Canada's, you know, premier treatment centers, but um, with that can sometimes come a lot of red tape yeah. where, you know, we can do this and we can't do that and uh, restrictions and um, I don't like restrictions. Neither do we. <laughs> Neither do we. <laughs> yeah, um, because I 
I know how to treat families. It is something that um, that I know, and I, I, I wanted to have the freedom to do that, mm -hmm. to, to get families what they need. So we do individualized treatment, um, and we bridge the gap. So a lot of you know places will be like, well, just go to Al-Anon. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say that Al-Anon is peer support, and it's really necessary. There's a place for that. All of those kinds of groups, CODA and Families Anonymous and, and all of those, they, they serve an, an awesome function, and they are accessible. They're free. Um, those are really important, um, but they're just one piece, and it's um, not often that it's the family's first stop, right? Mm -hmm. And they're still haven't ever said this out loud, and they're still thinking they're just going to fix it themselves, and they still don't have any idea that they need help themselves. Um, and so we're like, yeah, just hit the next Al-Anon meeting and they're like no <laughs> yeah, right. yeah so we bridge that gap for people we start with how about coming to like how about do you feel safe with our clinicians here we have a, a Sunday support group that is free and it's online and people can access that um, as many times as they want it's just an educational um, sessions so it's a really safe way to sort of dip your toe into just right. come and come and check that out do you feel safe enough to do that do you feel safe enough to maybe just speak privately with one of our clinicians and then we'll go from there and we'll create a community of recovery from from our base um, and then we'll move with you at your pace to create a network of recovery for yourself that will I believe eventually um, include things like Al-Anon and, and CODA mm -hmm. and um, those places have been great. Uh, the, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I love the family 12 step stuff. Right. But I don't, I don't, it's not people's first stop. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and they have no idea about it. They don't even know there's such a thing as families, yeah. oh, 12 sure. steps and things yeah. like that. Right. Like it's just not known. It's not widely known. Um, so yeah, to access that Sunday support session, you just have to go to our website and sign up for our mailing list and that link will come directly to your inbox. Um, and then, you know, whenever, whenever a family member is ready, mm -hmm. that is there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what we do. And, and that's what we love doing. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. We had the privilege of sitting down on a zoom call with you and some of your coworkers and meeting your staff. And it was an amazing experience and very well, um, Put together staff that you've you know you've put together a lot of really cool experts in their field and uh but the the coolest part i thought was just how easy they were to talk to right they didn't come off as the white coats in the room they're always like that yeah and that's like that's our monday meetings are fun i think well, <laughs> i think i rolled into that zoom meeting like 45 minutes late with one shoe on like just got out of bed like hair straight oh, back oh shit i was supposed to be somewhere <laughs> And they were still very welcoming and professional. Totally, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember your one therapist is from Yorkton, Saskatchewan. That was the connection right off the bat. Yeah. yeah. Talked about progies for a while. <sighs> but yeah. no, and we'll put your link and everything in the show notes so that anybody who's listening and wants to connect with Sonia or Legacy West or this Sunday meeting or it'll all be in there. Easy to find. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. We're going to help people navigate to the resources they need. And that's what we do here, right? Is it's part of what we do as recovery coaches is we build this list or the Rolodex of community connections, right? And now you're part of our connection and we're part of uh, hopefully your connection and we can work together in the future because 
we if if nothing else we know that this is a family disease and everybody needs recovery and everybody needs support to get there yeah and i really want to say that the goal for us is the same in, in working with families it's it's still to help the person that's in you know looking for recovery it's still to help the person experiencing mm-hmm. the addiction like we can't be helpful as family members if we don't do this work mm-hmm. um but the the impact to the person who's recovering is is so powerful when we harness um you know the, the family's ability to motivate change yeah and guess like we can change ourselves right now that's the exciting part right like we've spent so much effort trying to change somebody else like i can change myself right now with with help mm-hmm. you know and that's what we do is like we're just going to show you some different ways you're going to take what works for you you're going to leave the rest and we're going to navigate it together yeah. right so with that, we're getting to our hour here. So I guess, you know, if, you, if, if there's a message you could share to any anybody out there that's in the position you were not knowing what to do or where to turn or I guess any message to anybody, what would you share? I would say that recovery includes you. Mm-hmm. It includes you. Um, and it's not just about somebody else doing all the changing. Uh, we're going to join in that process. And... Um, create create a life that um that we're super proud of and that feels good um and that's possible that's awesome very cool i think i have nothing to say <laughs> it's rare yeah no amazing i'm just glad that you took some time to uh um, come over and introduce yourself in person this week and then take even more time to come and, and share with us in our our two listeners, Paula and Linda, how this has gone and what you're doing and just shed more light on recovery, right? And it, the family recovery is just as important as the recovery for the individual. And this is what we do at OCJ is shine light on recovery. There's multiple pathways, multiple definitions of it, but if nobody's talking about it and nobody's showing that it's possible, we end up stuck in church basements or locked in our houses with the door closed and not knowing what to do or that it's even possible. So pretty awesome what's going on in Calgary, Alberta this week and, you know, everywhere after this week. So pretty cool what's happening. Over to you. Uh, I've eaten too much pizza. <laughs> I'm a little bit tired. Yeah. And uh, with that, I'm just rambling. So the thanks. End. Thanks for listening, Linda and Paula. Over and out. Awesome. <laughs> From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.